Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. We thank you for fresh revelation, even as we build upon the foundations week to week in the word of God. Help us, Lord, to dig and find these secrets and mysteries inside of us and activate them, Father, that we might be able to become more for you and even more for us, Lord. Thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, spirit to spirit. And Father, we ask you now to remove all barriers. And Father, to let us wipe the slate clean from any religious spirits that we might be carrying along with us. And to give us that freedom and that liberty in Christ to receive and to know that we know that we know deep in our soul and in our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the Touch Heaven house today. And it's good to see you. And it's good to be seen, isn't it? And not viewed this morning. So we appreciate that. And uh, for those of you who have joined us online, welcome. Wherever you're at, thank you. Thank you for your continuous support, uh, not only financially, but your continuous support with this house, wherever you are and however you are. Blessed be your name, and Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing on in taking a journey on the revelatory side, and it's part of a larger, actually it was part of a book and thesis, one of many that I was working on, and it started all the way back about 13 years ago on the keys to the, to the uh, mysteries of the kingdom of God. And uh, it's a never-ending work because we never get all the keys, and we won't know them all until what? Until we're known. But I, just recapping on some of the stuff we spoke about, we talked about that the Lord began to reveal himself in creation. And he told us that we can see the invisible things of God by the things that are already manifest, that are created. And uh, in so doing, it gives us a, a richer relationship with, with creation, with all that it is, because in all of that we see him. And he even goes so far as to say that nobody is without excuse to say they don't know there's God because of his creation. His creation is so awesome and so amazing, and nobody can duplicate it. Nobody can fully understand it and never will. That's how mysterious he is, but not because he just wants to remain mysterious. It's because he's God. And so that's part of it. And then the other part of it was that we understood that we are the stewards of these mysteries of God. And we dealt with the fact that we need to have the Spirit of God in order to comprehend and apprehend the things of God, that the mind of man cannot grasp them nor understand them, and the spirit of man that is not regenerated in the Spirit of God cannot receive them. And so, if you are in Christ, then you are able to not only discern, but receive. And that is up to us with Him. Nobody just gets a download. Nobody just says, I believe in Jesus, and then they're fully arrived. It's a progress, and that's part of our relationship with Him. And He finds joy in that. The Lord finds joy in us pressing in and wanting to know more, to be more, and to have that relationship with Him. So that being established, I want to build upon that now, uh, this morning, 
And, um, and I want to, to deal with a little story. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in John chapter 6, verse 1, it says, after these things, and let me just tell you what some of the things were. Some of the things were that he began to perform miracles. And one of the miracles he performed was at the Pool of Bethesda. And uh, the Pool of Bethesda, now hold on to your religious uh, 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 shoestrings here a moment with me. The Pool of Bethesda, an angel would come down and stir the water. No, Pastor Frank, that's idolatry. No, Pastor Frank, that doesn't happen. No, an angel would come down and stir the water. And whoever could get in the water, there were miracles. And this poor fellow, for 38 years, 38 years he had an infirmity. And Jesus went to the Pool of Bethesda. Now, how many of you think that Jesus had something to do with the Pool of Bethesda before he became man on earth, huh? How many of you think that maybe it was a foreshadow of something, right? Or did it just happen? Was it just some kind of a coincidence and you know, it was God? It was Christ, the healer. And so he went there. The healer went to the healing waters and he found this poor soul. And I believe he didn't go there to see what he had made because he already knew it. He went there to find this poor soul. He went there to find this fellow of 38 years, and they called them porches. And they had multiple porches around the Pool of Bethesda. It was platforms. And they would come, and somehow they would get to the porch by the water in hopes that they could get into the water while the angel was steering it. It says the angel was stirring it. And to get healed, this fellow had no way to get in. So Jesus asked him. He said, don't you want to be healed? And he said, I have no one to take me in. And in that moment, then Jesus healed him. And he said, get up and walk. And if we look at this, this was a moment of faith to faith. This was a moment where this fellow was going there. I'm not sure what he really believed in, but Jesus knew his heart. But he had been going there as long as he could probably go. We knew he was sick for 38 years. We don't know how long he was at the pool. Maybe that was the first time he went. Maybe he just had an encounter with Jesus Christ because all of his prayers had stored up and then the Lord arrived on the scene. But he never had to touch the water because he touched the one who could heal. And Jesus told him to get up and walk. Well, what do you think that happened, um, you know, with all of the religious people that saw that and heard that? They just immediately became faithful and let go of all their religion and they loved Jesus. No, they wanted to kill him. And they held on to the religion instead of holding on to the truth. And the religion said that that was the Sabbath. Oh my, he healed on the Sabbath. Now, if you've ever been in an Orthodox home or a temple or Israel, and it's the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do things that work. You're not supposed to light a fire. You're not supposed to move things around. You're supposed to just simply try to find other ways and so it's sort of humorous in a way but it's not humorous because I sort of went through that for a while it's 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 not easy right because we're used to instant gratification and the things that we want 
when it really becomes an issue is when you're in a high rise in Jerusalem and you, you're, you're staying on the 23rd floor and you've got to take an elef- elevator up on Shabbat, Shabbat, on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to push the buttons. So if you get in an elevator that's going all the way up and someone else doesn't come and push the button, you're going to be in there for a while. Or you could make a decision and walk all the way up or walk all the way down. Who wants to do that? So what do you think they do? Huh? What do you think they do? At sundown on Friday night, they program it so that it stops at every floor, right? Some of you nodding your head. So you get in that one and you want to get to the floor 23. By the time you get there, you age two years. And, and you see people coming and going and then you get up to 23 and then you're trying to think, I, man, I got to go back down. And... Or somebody else gets in the elevator and asks you to push the buttons for them. You do the work for me because I want to be religious, so you sin. It's like, what? So this was that mentality. This was, this was the mindset of, 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 the, of the Pharisaic Jews that witnessed this miracle at Bethesda. And instead of celebrating the miracle with this Poor fellow. Isn't it interesting? Let's, let's dial back a moment. I thought about this. Isn't it interesting that the angel stirred the water on the Sabbath? Huh? That didn't bother them. They weren't going to tangle with an angel. They couldn't stop the water. And it didn't seem like they had an issue with anybody else that might have got in the water and got healed. I'm sure this wasn't the first time because it had a reputation, they had an issue with Jesus, a man telling this fellow to get up and walk. And that was part of their case against him. He healed on the Sabbath. So now we come to this, and it says, after these things, after these things that he healed on the Sabbath, they wanted to kill him, they were criticizing him, and the poor fellow that got up, they asked him, what happened? And he said, all I know is now I can walk. This man healed me. He said, be healed and I'm healed and I've been sick 38 years. I don't really care what you have to say. I can walk right now. They didn't like that testimony either. They probably wanted him to say that he got in the pool and that he served culture and served something that had somehow found its way into the hypocrisy it was acceptable. Do we find ourselves getting led that way today in the body of Christ? Do we find ourselves serving culture more than the fresh reality of Jesus Christ and what's going on? You see, we knew because the Lord told us we didn't understand it, but we knew that we were about to cross a big threshold. Some months back, he said it right here. He said it was a threshold that was going to be known by the whole world in the kingdom of God. We had no clue what that full threshold was. But I can tell you, after October 7th, Israel will never be the same. And and the vile, putrid hatred of Jews erupted all over the earth, and it's not going to calm down. It's being fueled with a fire that will someday justify a complete invasion of Israel more killing of Jews. But that same spirit, that same spirit wants to devour the body of Christ too. 
And if we read, you know, the book of Revelation, I, I caution you all the time, don't try to, to put eschatological steps on the book of Revelation. This threshold that we crossed, it might be one of those vials that poured out, and it may not be, but it didn't say that was going to happen, did it? But it happened. And it opened our eyes up. We received a picture, Laura Lee did, from some friends, a ministry in Israel that showed a couple of soldiers on the shore in Gaza, tired, worn out. Remember now, they've been amassed for over a month. That's a long time. And they've been in the heat of the battle now for a couple weeks. Real battle. Kind of battle that hasn't really been fought before with that kind of thing. And they had the Israeli flag. And they took it and they planted it on the sea. Now, we may not understand prophetically what all that is, but just to give you a, a little bit of an insight, Gaza is where the northern kingdom of Israel was. Gaza was conquered and occupied by David as he was expanding the kingdom of Israel. And it became the northern kingdom, and there's various and certain promises, which I'm not going to get into today, to the northern kingdom, to that kingdom by God. To the house of Judah first, and then the others. So we can get caught up in trying to figure out the politics of it all, but what's the revelation of it all? The revelation of, of it all is that the kingdom of God is violent, and the violent take it by force. And we say, oh, pastor, I mean, you know, there, there's poor civilians getting caught up in this. Well, speak that to our grandparents and their grandparents and all the wars have always had atrocities. What's a war? A war is killing. A war isn't good. There's no such thing as a good war unless you're on the side of winning. And then we celebrate it. We just celebrated Veterans Day. And so we're not rejoicing and celebrating and saying this is a wonderful thing that God's doing. But you see, my faith, and I pray yours is, is that there's nothing out of control with God. If we don't see God in it, then we don't have an understanding of relationship with God. Nothing surprises Him, and without Him, nothing's allowed to happen. But you see, His Word will always come true, and covenants are important. And God made a covenant, and He made that covenant when He called Abraham out, and then He was able to keep that covenant alive with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then He passed it on to the heirs and part of that covenant is the land. God made a land covenant, a land title with the Hebrews, the Jewish people, for that little patch of land. It's not a big patch. It's not a big patch. But you know, it's, it's like this, you know, go and tell the residents of Rhode Island that you want to give their land to the Palestine. See what they'll say. Tell them, move out, get out of here, don't ever come back. It's about the same size. Hmm? Well, then it becomes personal, doesn't it? So in this instance, I'm opening our eyes and helping us to open our eyes to see what's going on. And it may look like it was just nothing but a moment with those few soldiers, but 
the Lord saw from heaven. And he saw that flag replanted there. And already, already the politics is trying to say, what's going to happen if and when Israel is finished, roots out Hamas, Hamas, and what's going to happen with control of that land? They're already trying to figure out how to make it different again. What's going to happen with it again? But God sees from heaven, doesn't he? God saw from heaven when during a previous two presidential terms, when all of a sudden the White House was lit up and to celebrate gay pride, and it was lit up in, in the gay colors in the night to be seen from heaven down. Do you think God saw that? Do you think he considered, uh-oh, this is getting a little out of hand. Do you see that God doesn't miss anything? We need, we need eyes and ears that see and hear like never before because these are very dark times. Let's look at Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3 a moment. I want to blend it and tie it into Revelation. Yeah, Isaiah 60. Verses 1 through 3. I'm going to wait till it's up. Arise and shine. Okay. Wake up. Shine. What does shine mean? Shine means get filled with God. Get the Holy Spirit moving. Stir up the glory of God within you. David would wake up in the morning and he has a psalm. Lord, wake up my glory. Wake up my glory. He knew he needed the glory of God and able to deal with it. He's saying, wake up your glory. Arise. Stand up, activate, for your light has come. Now, that's prophetic. He's talking about, remember, God is timeless. So to him, past, present, future isn't what he's always trying to talk to us about. He's talking to us as it is, it wasn't, it's going to be. Most of the time. And in this one, he says, your light has come. Who's the light? Jesus Christ. He's coming, he's coming again. Arise, for your light has come. He's coming, he's going to be here. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now we know what that means, John 17. I pray, Father, that they have the glory that I've had with you always, that they might be one, even as we are one. Jesus prayed the glory upon us and put it in us so that we could be the same as he is in the sense of revelation and understanding. But we have to turn the keys. He's all-knowing. Because the glory of the God has risen upon you. Otherwise, you're equipped. You have what you need. But you need to rise. You need to wake up. You need to accept it. And you need to comprehend it. And you need to apprehend it. Next verse. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Hmm. And deep darkness the people. Now, prophetically, there's been many, through many different episodes in the earth, that have wondered and thought, is this the one? Is this the thing? Is this the time? Is this it? And, you know, so many times people have named somebody else. How about Gorbachev? Because he had that purple thing on his head. He's the Antichrist. He's the false prophet. He's the one. He ended up being the guy that knocked the wall down. Boy, were we wrong if you happen to believe that eschatology. And it goes on with every war. World War I, that's the one. That's the one, gross darkness over the, all the earth. Not really. 
over a lot of the earth, but not over all the earth. And deep darkness, the people, the people. And if our eyes are open and we're discerning the times like we're supposed to, and we have revelation, we begin to see that this darkness that has creeped over the earth is getting darker and darker. And you see, remember the old adage, you know, like a mushroom grow in the dark? That's sin. Sin is a spiritual mushroom that grows in the dark. And it's not the edible kind. It's the kind that kills. It's the thief that comes to steal and rob and to murder. And, and this sin has been growing in the dark for a long time. And for some God-forsaken reason, which I think we could begin to analyze, this country, this country, this miracle founded under God, under God, the Judeo-Christian principles, this country, that's why. And that's why God was able to not only preserve this country, but make it the greatest country there's ever been in the earth. Militaristically, economically, politically, socially, all of the things, inventions. And somehow, the roots of humanity, without God, got strongholds in every fiber of the society and the culture and in the church in this country. And so tolerance, compromise on the throne of democracy became more important than obedience and faith on the throne of God. And that means that if you have a good case, anything goes. Marriage out the window. Children and parents out the window. Isn't it the one good thing I'm applauding is that some of the <laughs> idle schools in this country are, are getting exposed. Hmm? That's a good thing. I mean, you know, in my generation and in yours too, maybe just, maybe even now, I mean, if you wouldn't think about getting accepted or having the funds or being able to go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or maybe even Columbia. Columbia had a little bit of a reach. I mean, that wasn't for common folk. That wasn't for folk who, who were just trying to get somewhere, had to know somebody, and maybe a few got in, and there was always the exchange of, of, of money and promises. And it became a, a, a club. You got in, so now you can get in, and they can get in, and the wealth of the Arab world poured into these higher learning institutes. And they have endowments that are $50 billion is Harvard's endowment. $50 billion. And a very interesting thing is that most of these schools were founded as seminaries. Huh? They lost their way. Now they're anti-seminary. Isn't that interesting? And so we see that darkness is covering the earth and we could go on and on and begin to analyze it and apply it all over the place. To the four corners of the earth, there's issues and problems. But here's the bad one, in deep darkness, the people, 
He's talking about the antithesis of the light of God, the darkness of sin and evil and being lost. Hearts are dark. Evil. Evil. You see, what we need to understand, God takes covenants very seriously. And so we have the new covenant, which he gave in his blood. But then we have other covenants that have been made to spill blood. And that covenant brings death. There's a law in Romans. And it says, this is the law unto life and to death. Sin and death and eternal life and light. There's a law. It's the law of the kingdom of God. And so when we understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, we understand that when that law gets transgressed, it's not up to us to determine what the morality of that is. It's up to us to get on our knees in the fear of the Lord and say, oh my God. You see, the judgment of God is real. But we're not hearing that enough in the body of Christ. We've, we've been like malleable little pieces of clay molded into this mushy-wushy Christianity that, that tells us that, you know, anything that, that looks bad in the earth, hey, not a Christian. If, if you, if, let's not say embrace it. Let's just say recognize it. But you see, for years since my, my eyes got enlightened and the Lord called me to it, and especially after my wife and I in 1984 went to Israel and, and we got totally immersed in, into the law of God and into the understanding of these covenants and that they're handed down from the Abrahamic covenant. And from that Abrahamic covenant comes blessings, but, but we don't preach this in curses. Blesses and curses. See, we like the blessing part. But, but we don't want to confess the cursing part. Well, the cursing part is personal and it's corporate. And it has to do with nations and people. Just like this, the darkness has covered the earth. That's nations. That's not what's happening a mile down under the sea. That's always dark. It's not what's happening a mile above the earth. It's talking about nations. And, and then he goes on further and he says, but it's the deep darkness of the people that is what we're supposed to begin to see. And you see, when somebody makes a covenant, a covenant to break God's covenant, and to say that the covenant of God, that this land is God's land. I used to love that song, this land is my land. This land. I played it, right? I forgot all the words, but I played it. I get the notes, the words. Thank God for Leanne. I just say a few words. She knows I don't know what I'm talking about, and she grabs it and runs. But I got the feeling, and I hear the chorus, right? A covenant was made. And this covenant was made not just in politics in the last 60 years. This covenant's been made for centuries to destroy the Jews and take the land. And many have tried and been part of it. Christians, crusaders, 
went to destroy the Jews and take the land. And that was emblazoned into the Jews of that part. People coming with swords and might with crosses on them to do God's work in the name of Christ. Yeah, that's a reality. And then it got perverted and changed a little bit more and then it became this, this, this perverted cross called a swastika once again to kill the Jews. And now, now we have some constitutions that say from the land to the sea, eradicate them. And we have stupid, ignorant people in our highest educational systems from the land to the sea. And they don't even know what they're saying. We're against killing people, but from the land to the sea. I, I, I don't know that that means kill all the Jews, but from the land to the sea. Not to take a piece of land, to take all the land and kill all the Jews. Do you think that those that have made this covenant and hate the Jews so bad and hate the God of Israel so bad, and they hate the God of Israel, you understand that? Do you understand that? It's not the same God. The God of the Koran is not the same God as the God of Israel. And Abraham's promises are not the same as Abraham's promises. Some have written books. He's the, he's the Abraham of three faiths, and he is Judea, Christ, Christians, and Muslims, Father Abraham. But the blessings and the curses, they have dividing walls. And those who curse God are cursed. And those who curse God's people are cursed. And you know what? When God curses, God curses. And when God delivers, God delivers. Now, I don't know what the end result of that is in this instance, but I know what the ultimate end result is. The ultimate end of result is it's going to fuel even more hatred and more desire to kill the Jews and to take the land. And the politics is going to dictate it, whether it's gas, oil, whatever it is. And then the Lord's going to have to deliver his people because they're not going to be able to deliver themselves this time. I have a little prophetic thing that just hit me. I'm a little, I've got a whole bunch, but I've been holding it back. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be allowed to hold it back. Because I know what comes when it's released. And it's not that I'm afraid. And part of that unction Those who curse her shall be cursed. But God can do a cursing and a blessing within the same group of people. He can separate those to curse and separate those to bless in the same move of God. There's a testing going on at the highest levels of our government. You're going to bless God and the God of Israel, or are you going to curse them? Are you going to give in to the evil that's crying out? Or are you going to stand against it and just believe God? And it's wavering. Wavering because of poles 
because of the greed of power has nothing to do with where's God in it, it's where's the poles in it. And I don't want to let go of this, and we don't want to let go of this. It doesn't matter what the truth is, it matters that we control it. Back in the day, I think I still have my card. <laughs> I was a member of the President's Club. Don't even ask me how it happened. A lot of these things just happen. And that card gave me access to a lot of stuff. I got into Kuwait as the first citizen right after the war. They were still running around sniping, and I went in and because of that card. And at that time, we were doing a radio talk program and prayer program with miracles called Praises on the Salem radio network. And it became one of the most popular programs on the network. People would come to the station in Canton and wait outside for me to come out to pray for them for miracles. Truck drivers driving in Buffalo. I'll never forget the guy drove his rig off of his route to come and wait for a miracle for his baby boy who couldn't walk and had paralyzed legs. Just, just Gideon in the middle of nowhere believe in God. And God was faithful. We scraped together our pennies to be on that. We didn't have any money. I signed a contract knowing I couldn't pay for it. I said, what's the worst they could do with me? I don't have anything anyway, take it. And the Lord made it every week. Somehow we always paid our bill. Until they threw me off. Do you know why they threw me off? Hmm? I was preaching too much about the Holy Spirit. Oh, we love your program. Everybody loves your program. I said, well, who do you think is healing people? Why do you think they love the program? Because they follow the miracles. You want to read the Bible? And I remember being on there. And the attack came from Iraq on Israel. And we would receive these briefings. <laughs> President's Club. And the briefings would say that if Israel would just cooperate with the United States and not pull the Arab nations and everybody else into this war, we'll protect them. Came from President Senior Bush, his first term. And God was, 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 was fulfilling his word. And it was his eternal word, and he said he would send fishers and hunters throughout the earth. And, and I became one of those and went into the former Soviet Union and was arrested for it to bring some Jews out and some comfort to Christians because I took it real. And in it, Bush said, and not only will we defend you from these Scud missiles, but if you don't fight back, and if you just take it, when it's all done, we're going to give you the money you need to assimilate these Ethiopians and the lost tribe from Africa 
and the Jews that came in from the Soviet Union and those that are sitting in Pioneer Park. And the park right outside the government of Israel is a big park. Intense. Clutching on to a little bit of food. Couldn't even speak the language yet. He said, we're going to give you money to help to assimilate them and build some homes for them and, and let them become part of it. If you only cooperate. And the scuds began to rain upon Israel. And my friends and I were on the telephone talking, even as I watched them on the news. I'll never forget it, 6.05, showing scuds coming. One landing in Tel Aviv is on the phone with Ehud Ergil. Ehud Ergil was uh, in their secret intelligence, and he was a communications guy, giant of a man, one of the chief scientists, and he was the guy that was dictating the, the raid on Antebi from the airplane that got Benjamin Netanyahu's brother killed. And he never got over it. An Orthodox Jew who had a Bible study with me outside his house, it went all night long as I was trying to explain to him and he was explaining to me that this is where the time stopped and this is where Megiddo is. And then I was explaining to him prophetic word of God. And I said, Ehud, there's missiles launched against Israel. And then he heard it and he said, I have to go. I hear it. It's out in Tel Aviv. Do you know how many missiles, how many scuds landed in Israel? 39. Do you know what that number is? How many lashes on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think that was coincidence? How come it wasn't 29 or 59 or 39? And I know now because he told me afterwards that they said they would abide by it, but if one one canister of gas got released on Israel, they were going to nuke Baghdad, nuke it. They had the capability. That was the red line, no gas. The Jews will never again tolerate gas. You blame them? Do you blame them? 39, we knew of an old lady, she, she died of fear in a room. A little baby suffocated because they had the gas plastic over the crib and the, the gas, the, the, the plastic fell down and they found the baby suffocated in the morning. People died. They didn't fight back, just like Jesus. I'm not saying they're Jesus, but don't miss the moment. 39 lashes didn't fight back. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go bomb your house. You just tolerate it. And afterwards, you know, I'm going to get you a new car. So the war's over. Israel played nice. And then all of a sudden, President Bush, George Bush Sr., he says, well, you know, I'm going to prove this money to you, but 
I want you to divide the land and give that land to the Palestinians. His popularity rating then was the highest of almost any president. It was in the high 90s. It was nine months before the election for his next term. And I prophesied on Salem Radio, I said, the Lord is so angry, so angry that the curses will come upon him and he will not be elected. And it was like, what? I said, he's not going to get there. And all of a sudden, this, oh, talk like this, like the Godfather. Named Clinton from Arkansas. Oh, what a big state. Up, 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 he beats him. Not because he was so much brighter in the eyes of the Lord. I'm not so sure about any of that. He was a Baptist who understood the Lord of God. Or is, I should say. But he brought curses upon himself and tried to bring them upon this country. So God honors covenants. And God judges by his covenants. So when we understand the covenant of God, this, it's a mystery to the world, but it's not a mystery to us. We understand the God, that there's a God of Israel. And we understand that, that as believers, according to Romans and, and the Pauline revelation, that, 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 that the Gentile body, and I don't even like that name because that means heathen, so let's just say non-believers, non-Jews, grafted into that church, grafted into that body, grafted into that tree, not because of a covenant, but because of the mercy of God. Not because there was something deserving, but because of the mercy of God and the love of God that none should perish. He gave his son. And we understand that by that, there's a time when, when once again, that same mercy and grace the fountain of David spoken of in Zechariah will open up for uncleanliness, not by power, not by might, but by his spirit. A washing, just like Gentiles didn't receive it because of great faith or because of something that was done. It was because God gave enough faith to be ready to accept him. And he's doing the same thing now. The same thing now. And that fountain of David's opened up even though there's great darkness all over the earth. Because the Lord will arise over you. Now, don't be arrogant. It's not just those who love Jesus. It's God's covenant people, both Jew and Greek and male and female and believer and Jew. And whomever shall, whomsoever shall call upon the Lord. That's his covenant. God is a covenant keeper. We like to say we are. We don't do such a good job of it many times. But thank God he's on the other side of that covenant. Thank God he made that covenant even without Abraham. He put Abraham to sleep where he belonged. And he did the sacrifice himself and made the covenant. And that's what he's doing for us today. And that's what he's doing for the world. And Jesus is getting ready to return. And, and I believe if it was only up to him he'd come yesterday. But he said, only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. He's a God of justice and judgment. He's a covenant keeper. And that covenant has blessings and cursings. That hatred 
that comes forth from what we understand in that little patch and beyond that has assimilated all the way up to Iran and all the way down to the Houthis and all over the place, wherever that hatred, that bloodline has, has propagated, that hatred goes all the way back to Edomites and the Adamites. It goes all the way back to that hatred from Ishmael to Isaac. It goes all the way forward, generation to generation. We say often the Hatfield and McCoys, there was even what, a reality program. They didn't know why they hated each other. Well, this isn't that obscure. This is because of the difference of the God of Israel. And so we see that this is coming true. The Lord will arise over you and His glory will be seen upon you. The way His glory is seen upon us is many, many, many in varied ways, but one way it's seen. Now, get prophetic with me. Open your eyes, open your ears. Look beyond where you're at. Look into the spiritual world. The spiritual world is more real than this physical world. You say, what? Oh, absolutely. Because you know why? The spiritual world's eternal. This will pass. These bodies will pass. Flesh will pass. But the spirit and the soul, they live forever. And the spirit of man and woman can be absent from the body and present with the Lord, or it can be not present with the Lord. Either way, it's eternal. It's real. And all these other things, they pass away. That's reality, the truth, the way, the life, the light. You know how the, where the glory of the Lord is seen the most? It's by the spiritual world. The angels identify you by the light of God. The Lord knows His children by the glory of the light inside of us. And the demons and the devils and the principalities and powers, they know you don't belong to them. And they are hell-bent to get you. Because you have light. And your light is seen in the darkness. Your light is seen from one part of the cosmos to the next. Whomsoever has eyes and ears to see and hear. And there's a sound that comes out of the glory. <laughs> we know it is living waters. It's all we can understand. It's living waters, but I don't know about you, but I want to sound like a bright fountain walking around in, the, in this dark and demonic world. I want to light up a room with the harmony and sound of the living waters of Jesus Christ. I want, I want to walk up to a baby crib and my wife will tell you, for some reason, babies smile at me. There they go again. Maybe it's just because they smile at me, but I believe it's because of the gurgling fountain of God and the brightness of God. And, and you see, they're so innocent. They just immediately, ah. Children come to me that don't go to other people. I love them. It's not because I'm special. It's because... 
the waters, the living waters, the fountain, the gurgling, the brightness of the Lord. The Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Verse 3. And the Gentiles. Remember what I said. The heathen. The non-believers. It's not the color of the skin. It's the color of the spirit. Is it glory color or is it not glory color? Everybody bleeds the same because the blood is, the life is in the blood. And the life is in the glory. Glory is unto God what the blood is unto us in the image. And to be remade in His image, we need the glory. And once we have that, we're a new creation. And then He calls us son, and in this instance, daughter. And we say, Abba, Daddy. And the Gentiles, the heathen, come on you evangelists, the unbelievers, they're going to come to your light. You've got an advantage when you go because of who you are and what you carry. And kings to the brightness of your rising. See, one is corporate, the other one is nations. God put them all together. We need to have revelation to understand it. We need to understand God is speaking to nations, to kings, to believers, sons and daughters. The glory doesn't separate. And the glory brings victory in life and it brings death and destruction. One of the fastest ways to bring judgment upon someone or some people is to touch God's glory. Touch not mine anointed. Touch not mine anointed. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We don't like hearing that. Not too many preach it. They better start. We need to know who we are. We need to understand who He is. He's a God of judgment. He's a God of justice. He's a God of everlasting life and love and mercy. He's a God of grace and faith, but He's a God of truth. It's beyond. It befuddles our minds because we don't know how to balance all of that. And there's only one way we know, and that's by saying, Lord, I submit. You're God. You're the potter. I'm the clay. But there's fundamental laws and rules that he's given us. We can agree or not agree. We can like the politics, not the politics. We can try to do all kinds of things. But there's laws he has given us. And when we cross those laws, we cross God. That's why obedience is better than sacrifice. So the brightness of our rising so let me get to where I was trying to get to and I'll finish with it. <laughs> I didn't even do a half a page. It's all your fault. By the way, this isn't the shirt, honey, that I left the house in. She said, thank me. I like the shirt I had on, but I saw this shirt hanging in my office and so I was trying to get to it and in there is 
an old tattered flight jacket from my father that's leather. And it was, I don't, must have been, I don't know, it was from the Air Force. And it still has his instructions if he was a POA written in Chinese because he flew the Chinese Burma Theater. And it's all broken up. I got to get somebody to restore, do something with it. I mean, it's the original with the Terry and the Pirates on it and all that stuff. And whenever you touch it, red dye comes off. And I was trying to get to this, and I was squeezing through, and the bottom of my whole shirt is full of red dye. The shirt my wife didn't like. I'm, I'm wearing that shirt. I, you stop it. You women are all staying together. She's over there saying, see, see, see. So this sort of reminds me like my cousin Vinny. Huh? Judge, I'm wearing this ridiculous thing for you. Honey, I'm wearing this ridiculous thing for you. And then I got to have Headley tell me while I got it on. What are you, on vacation? While I'm walking out of my office? <laughs> but here's the good news. I'm secure enough to wear it. I almost was going to wear the one with the dye all over it. Good luck getting that up. Um, John 6, 1, real quick. I gave you the prelude to it. The man healed. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Jesus does miracles to be able to attract people. But it doesn't change people, it attracts people. Let's go on next. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. This was the first Passover we know about him as he walked into his ministry time. This is how he celebrated it. Next. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He's at the top of the mountain. He's looking down and there's a mass of people coming up the mountain. We learn that it's 5,000 and some say if they brought their families and children with them, it was 30,000. I don't know, but Jesus saw a bunch of people coming up the mountain. He said to Philip, where can we buy bread that all these people can eat? It's, it's going to be Passover. They're going to miss Passover. We got to keep Passover. Where can we find bread? But this he said to test Philip. <laughs> For he himself knew what he was about to do. Next. And Philip answered him and said, we have 200 denarii. That's like, you know, $20. We got $20. We're going to feed 5,000 people. You know, there's not a deli in the area that can handle that. And it's not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. We can't even buy enough to give them a crumb. It's useless, Lord. Philip, not going to happen. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here. I know English, a lad, right? No such thing. <laughs> There's a little child here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. 
But what are they among so many? Out of everybody there, this one little boy stood out. He's a smart little boy. He brought his lunch. Or he was going to make some money. Like the newspaper boy. You want to fish? You want some bread? Huh? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Ooh, sit down. Stop moving around. And I, and, I, and I thought about that for a moment. And they sat on much grass. We've, we've been up in those hills and sat on grass and sat on rocks. They sat on the grass. There was much grass. And somebody began to figure out how to number them. You know, maybe they did a little hundred sampling and multiplied it. And here's what they came up with. And they sat down and came up with a number of 5,000 men. So what did Jesus do? He said he took the loaves and when he had given thanks, huh? Given thanks. Thanks precedes the miracle. Come on. Thanks precedes the miracle. Worship precedes the miracle. These 5,000 people didn't even yet know how to worship him but they followed him. But what did he have them do? Sit down. And the fact that they listened was worship. The fact that they didn't... Let me tell you something. You get three Jews in a room and get them to agree. That's amazing. 5,000, miracle in itself. They sat down. And when he given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. Now, well, wait a minute. He took... Five barley loaves, two fish, held them up, gave thanks, and gave them to the disciples. I don't know if he broke them up and gave each one a piece. I don't know what he did. Our fish. I don't know how he did that. But he gave them to them, to him. And the disciples, to those sitting down. And likewise, of the fish as much as they wanted. Jesus didn't become the factory right there. Come on now. He imparted the miracle to his disciples. Listen to what I'm saying to you. He imparted the miracle of the abundance and the capacity to, to his disciples. And they took that meager little bit and multiplied it times a thousand for the loaves and 2,500 for the fish. And as they began to distribute it, it just kept coming out more and more and more and more. I, I, have you wondered, did they see it multiplying in their hands? Did they just, somebody had to see something. And I believe as they kept going, their faith began to rise. And I believe that the faith that was imparted of the miracle from Jesus Christ began to grow from a faith to a faith, and that every one that they handed it to, the faith continued to grow. And all of a sudden, it became a mountain of faith in the middle of the mountain. And everybody ate, not just enough, more than they could eat. Everything they wanted. Fish. I wonder if the fish was cooked or not. I've thought about it often. Was it raw fish or gefilte? What was it? And the bread. And they ate. 
And then, you know, Jesus, you figure, just get up and... Okay, time for the message. Y'all feel good? No. He said to the disciples, finish the job. Go pick up the pieces so that nothing is lost. Multiply abundance, quantity, capacity. I've come to give life, says Jesus, and life more abundantly. Go pick up the pieces. Get the pieces. Same thing he's saying to you and me. I'll give you, I'll impart you the miracle faith and power. But until you use it and distribute it, it has no capacity. You need to activate it. You need to activate it. You need to just believe with blind faith. Okay, Lord, it's not me, it's you, but I'm going to hand it, you're going to hand it, you're going to hand it. And when there's a move of miracle faith and power, it accelerates. <laughs> Come on. It accelerates. Pick up the pieces. Don't leave anything to the dogs. Put them all back where they belong. Show respect to the miracle and to the faith and the power of God. To the anointing. Touch not my anointing. Respect the anointing and defend the anointing. Oh, I know some of you, you say, boy, I know this guy, I don't know whether I should stay with him. He's too tough. He gets angry when people say there's something that and this, that. Yes, I defend the anointing. But because the antithesis of not defending the anointing is you're not worthy to be a steward of the anointing. You need to defend the anointing. I'm not ashamed to take an offering because that is worship to God. And that's anointing. We all got to get out of that. That's religious. People don't want to come back if you take it. Well, then they don't come back. Who do you want to foul? God or somebody's feelings? Or just maybe you're teaching them how to be blessed to God. Don't compromise God for our own fears our emotions, our ignorance. I've done it many times. Too many times. Protect the anointing of God. Pick up the pieces. Don't leave anything over. Don't listen to the wisdom of man. Listen to the Word of God. Because the wisdom of man, you'll lose that which you're trying to get. Protect the anointing. Watch what God will do. Abundance. He'll pass it on. He'll pass it on. He'll pass it on. It becomes contagious. And then it's really good. It becomes addictive. <laughs> I want to please God. I'm addicted to pleasing God. I want to please. I don't care what man says. I'm going to please God. By God, I'm going to please God. It's addictive. Finally, this. Next verse. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the one that we heard about. I wonder if it was just because he fed them 
or because if afterwards he said, pick up all the pieces. Or maybe it was all of it. What would have happened if he would have allowed the, the mana from heaven to go to the spoils of wild animals? Have you ever learned and, and read and wondered about the mana from heaven? It never said that wild beasts came to eat it or fowls. And, it never said that. It was inquired for the creatures of God as was that bread of life. Closing with this. You, we, are stewards of the good things of the house of God. We need to be good stewards. We need to believe God and let everything else flow by the side. It's not by the affirmation of the numbers of men and women and people on the earth or even in a church. It's by the anointing and respecting the anointing of God as stewards. And of that he says, as good stewards, you will be the ones who minister the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But first, we must be found obedient in the things of God that he puts in our hands. Don't expect to move on to the next step until you're obedient in what he's put in front of your hands. Hmm, we can get stuck. We can get stuck and keep going around the desert. Our shoes won't wear out. Your salvation won't wear out. But you're not going to enter into the next promise. <laughs> hmm? Hmm? I pray for all of us that the Lord gives us a very strong, pointed, and totally enlightened revelation of who we are as stewards of the mysteries of God. It doesn't mean we have to or can or are going to know all of the mysteries. <laughs> That's not important. It's that we're good stewards. Good stewards of the mysteries of God. Good stewards of the impartations of God. Understanding that now, as we do, they multiply. And the capacity is greater. And it distributes to many beyond comprehension to the glory of God. And Jesus says, don't let any spill over and leave it on the ground. Pick up the pieces. You see, closing statement, abundance, your cup flowing over, we like that. But we're supposed to catch what's flowing over. And we're supposed to distribute it. Maybe if our cup's flowing over so much and we're that blessed, maybe we should have a second cup and start to fill it. And when that one begins to flow over, have a third cup and begin to fill it. Pick up the pieces. Don't let them squander. Don't let the fowl come and take them. Don't let the dogs eat them. We pick up the pieces. 
Father, thank you, Lord. First thing I need to do, Father, is repent. Let me be offensive to none. You made me this way. I'm trying. Let us all be passionate of the Word of God. Let us be obedient, Father, as best we can. Help us. Let us not compromise and let us never become so legalistic and religious that we feel that we can't understand your balance of how to love and say yay and nay in the same sentence. Let us be tolerant of people to bring them to Christ, but not tolerant of sin to stay in fellowship. Help us, Lord, because without you, we're weak. And Lord, our wisdom without you is foolishness. Our weakness without you, Lord, is destructive. Be blessed, Father. Help us on this journey. Help us to have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that pursue. And Lord, my prayer, my prayer that I'm lifting up to you as often as you give me a little crack in my days and the evenings of my nights, and that is for the miracles that the people in this beloved church and that are tuned in or are believing you for. Father, please, please, oh God, stir up that pool. Let it happen, Father, to your glory, to your glory alone, oh Lord. Do it, Father. Do it, Lord. Do it, Jesus. Holy Spirit, do it. To you be the glory in all good things. Amen.